So to prepare your hearts now to hear the reading of God's Word uh, this morning, continuing on in the book of Ephesians, it will be Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Hear the reading of God's Word now. As Stephen said, the passage for today is uh, taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, uh, which is found on page 918 of your pew Bible, and is also printed in the, the bulletin. I will be reading from the bulletin as it is a larger font. <laughs> uh, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was, not made, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister <clears throat> according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Sins are reading God's word. So we are continuing in Ephesians. We've been doing uh, different sermons for the last several weeks in this book, and we'll continue on up until Easter Sunday, at the end of Lent on March 31st. So today we come to Ephesians 3, and just a reminder, if uh, again, my fancy QR code should be on the screen. Uh, thank you. And if you'd like to ask a question, that hopefully will work. And so it, it's, techno it's technology, I know, don't get overwhelmed by that. You can always just come and ask your own questions, but we do want to be fostering a, a spirit of um, curiosity and, and finding answers to the real questions. And so we'll have a space... Um, after the service for question and response uh, in the back of the sanctuary. But today, Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13, 
I'm going to focus all on the theme of serving. Serving. Um, today is all about serving. And so just to, but to get us started, I was, I'm going to use an illustration I heard from another pastor in the last year or so. And it was talking about tennis. The sport of tennis. Uh, I don't know if you play tennis or if you're familiar at all with the rules, but uh, in tennis, like many other hand-eye coordination sports, you, you begin each part of the, of the match by serving. One person has the ball, and they serve to the other person. And what's interesting that this pastor brought up by way of, by way of illustration is the advantage that the one who is serving has. And so isn't it interesting that in the tennis terminology, to serve is to be at an advantage? And just right away, I think that corrects us and could challenge maybe some of our thinking already about how we think about serving. Sometimes we think serving is a disadvantage, but actually just in the tennis terminology, it's an advantage. It puts you at greater possibility of succeeding or finding, um, finding your place in whatever you're doing. So Jesus talks a ton about serving, obviously, but listen to, I think, the most radical and countercultural way and surprising way that Jesus talks about serving. He says this in two places, quoted exactly the same. One is Matthew 20, 28, and one is Mark 10, 45. He's talking about himself, and he says this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we come to church to worship God, to worship Jesus, to serve him. And we talk about, we're going to talk today about how do we serve Jesus in our city? How do we love people and by serving them in our city and show them Jesus by our serving? And yet here's Jesus right off the bat saying, I came not to be served, but to serve. The heart of Jesus, the heart of God is the heart of a servant right from the beginning. John 13, which is um, a passage we'll really get to in a couple of weeks when it comes to Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. But Jesus, uh, when he goes into the upper room with his disciples the night before he dies on the cross, he gets out a bucket of water and a towel and he says, let me wash your feet. He, he serves his disciples. And you remember Peter, if you're familiar with the story of Peter, um, responds how most of us are thinking probably right now. No, 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 Lord, don't wash my feet. Don't wa- I should wash your feet. Let me serve you. And Jesus is like, no, I came to serve. I'm going to wash your feet. And then Peter, silly Peter, okay, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my whole body too. And Jesus is like, okay, let's correct this here. Jesus came to serve. Uh, But then he asks us to serve as well, not to just be the ones who are served ourselves. So let me give you one other illustration, and then we'll kind of get started with our our maybe teaching points. Um, The other illustration, I read this in a book this week, and I thought it was interesting. Imagine yourself walking up to the edge of a cliff, and you see a tightrope going from one edge of the cliff to the other. So picture the Grand Canyon. You're at the edge, there's a tightrope. And you're, you want to get to the other side, but there's no way to get there. And you see a tightrope. And so, theoretically, you could tightrope yourself across and do that. Though that 
seems a little dangerous to me. Um, But people do this. And then you see, coming from the other side, someone, a tightrope walker, coming towards you. But not just one person. He actually has a wheelbarrow as well on the tightrope. He's running across the tightrope with a wheelbarrow coming towards you. And then in the wheelbarrow is a person that he is walking across on the tightrope across the cliff, Grand Canyon below. And so they get to the other side successfully, and they come to you, and the tightrope person says, do you trust that I could take you across on the tightrope? And you just watched him do it with someone else, so your answer would probably be, yeah, I trust that you could do that. And then he says, can I take you to a cross in the wheelbarrow? How would you answer that question? So you believe that he could serve you by getting you, because you just saw him do it for someone else, but are you actually willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go across a tightrope across the Grand Canyon? I, I just love how that frames for us being served or the role of serving in general. And so for us today, as we walk through this text in Ephesians 3, I want to give us a few points about how serving can be applied to us. And you may, you may even say, like, Stephen, I'm surprised we're even going into the theme of serving because I didn't really see that much in this text. It's talking mostly about a mystery and you know, something being unveiled and Gentiles and Jews and um, all this stuff. We're going to get to that. But I think, it's, I think it's really interesting to look at it through the lens of serving. So look at verses 1 and 2. Again, if you have this in front of you, this will really help. Um, But verses 1 and 2 were introduced to Paul, who's been writing the letter. But Paul reintroduces himself to us again. He says, for this reason, I, Paul. So again, he's, he's already said that at the beginning of the letter. He's bringing himself back up again. But he's saying, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, on behalf of you non-Jewish people. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Point number one here is that serving is about, it's about being used for others. And I'm really careful to use that phrase, being used for others. Um, Serving is about being used for others. And so only Christianity would say that you being used is a good thing. Like, picture yourself any other place and saying, and someone telling you that you're being used. It's usually a bad thing, right? Like you're being manipulated, or you're being tricked, or you're being taken advantage of. That's how we use the phrase, you're being used, right? But in Christianity, in here, being used is a beautiful thing. Being used by God is a purposeful thing to be employed and deployed for reasons well beyond and far deeper than what you previously thought. So Paul here, it says, it says he's being used on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul is a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Um, Paul's in prison. Let's not forget when he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church. He's a prisoner in literal chains in a, in a cell. Um, for what purpose? Why? How could that be an, an okay thing? Um, Paul here is quick to say that he's not complaining about being in jail or about being in prison. He actually sees that it's, it's for the 
benefit of the people he's writing to that he's in prison. Paul is being used by God, even by being put in jail, for purposes beyond what he first imagined. So, again, we're looking through Paul to look at us. So Paul's in prison, and he can see that I'm being used on behalf of others, even while in jail. So for you and I, that just, I hope that should flatten a lot of um, things right away for us. Of We can be used by God no matter where we are, or what circumstance we're in, good or bad. Paul's in jail, and he's able to spin it by saying, I'm being used on behalf of people because I'm in jail. And so whatever you're going through, serving is about being used for others. Um, it's really cool here, too, that, you know, how it talks about the grace that's been given to Paul. So it says in verse 2, it says, you've probably heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. It's like, great, Paul's been given God's grace. Yes, he's been given God's grace, but... Let's not forget the last two words of this verse. He's been given God's grace not for himself. Not so that he would know that God is with him and that he can be comforted and that it's all going to be okay and that this is just a a temporary thing and eventually he'll move on and he'll get out of jail and he'll retire in in the Mediterranean somewhere with a nice villa. No. It says, Paul has been given grace to me for you. So why was Paul given grace? For the sake of the Gentiles, for the sake of the Ephesian people. Grace was given to him so that the Ephesians would receive it. So God has entrusted something beautiful to Paul, something to steward, so that the Gentile Ephesians would be immensely blessed. Paul is being used as a vessel of God's grace here. Just as like this ship that we use as a logo for our church, as a it's a symbol of, of, of a vessel being taken from one place to another to, to carry something. So Paul is being used to carry God's grace, not just so that he's a really cool vessel or a really cool ship, but the ship has a purpose to take things somewhere. And as we're going to find out, that's for you and I too. That's for the church also. And I just, I think it's a good place to pause here. Again, I know we're all in different places in our spiritual journey. Some are a long way down the road, somewhere at the very beginning. But interesting to think about who, who was God's vessel of grace to you? Who did God use to be the ship to carry the grace of God to you? Um, just a beautiful, beautiful thing to reflect on. Who did God use to influence your life, to be there at the right time for you so that you would, you would receive what otherwise you wouldn't have been able to receive? And uh, again, how can you be that for somebody else in this city or on your college campus or in your job or in your neighborhood? It's amazing how some people are so willing and joy-filled to be used by God. And Paul here just exudes that. He is so willing to be used by God no matter the circumstances. Um, And so I I think of in other places in the New Testament, Paul talks about how he, he, he refers to himself as a drink offering. It's being poured out. Um, you know, and, and to think about being a drink offering. So Philippians 2.17, 2 Timothy 4.6, he uses this idea of, I am a drink offering. It's being poured out for the sake of others. Um, to be a drink offering means that you need to be poured out, which means that eventually you're going to be dry and empty and in need. So you're being willing to be used even when you're dry or have nothing else to offer. But it also really implies that 
Paul's being poured into from a fountain somewhere else. A never-ending supply where he's being poured into so he can be poured out for others. You feel that? Like if you're, if you're just serving others all the time, you're going to run dry pretty quick. Just like pouring out a cup of water. So you need to be poured into in order to be used for others. So that's the first point, is that serving is all about being used for others. That's verses 1 and 2. Second thing about serving, I think I have four. Um, Number two is serving comes out of what you have been given. Serving comes out of what you have been given. So you can't serve out of something you haven't received. That's another way to put it. Verses three through six, we get an introduction into what Paul has received. And And the reason I'm stating it this way is I think Paul received something that most you and I don't. Um, And that's okay. Paul is being serving out of what he's been given. And you're going to serve out of what you've been given, which is different than Paul, perhaps. There's there's an overlap we're going to talk about later. But for now, what has Paul been given that he can serve out of? Verse 3, it says he was given a revelation from God. So this is where I'm like, you don't have to have this same reality. Like, Paul was on on a horse going to Damascus as a terrorist of God. And light struck him. He fell off the horse. And Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him. That's, that's what Paul's talking about when he said, I've been given a revelation from God. So I'm just saying here, if you haven't had that experience, that's not bad. That's, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to have fallen off a horse and been blinded by the light of God to be a genuine Christian. But that's what Paul was given for specific purposes. He was given a, an unveiling to the mystery of Christ. And it was, it was told him, and this is Acts chapter 9, where that story, if you want to read it, Acts chapter 9, it, it says, the Lord said to Paul, uh, well, it says to Ananias, who is he's talking about Paul, he says, go, for he, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine, so instrument or vessel, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's purpose, right from his conversion, was to serve the nations, to take the gospel to people who have not heard. That was his gift from God through this revelation in Acts chapter 9, right from his very beginning. So again, you don't have to have that same type of revelation, but you've had that same kind of encounter with the risen Jesus. If you're a believer in him, you've had that same kind of encounter. But what did he say to you? When he, when he called you, when he appeared to you, when he spoke to your heart, what did he give to you in that moment? We can only serve others out of what we've been given. Paul says he's not the first one to receive this. He said this is based on the apostles and prophets teaching too. Um, he says this in verse uh, 4 or 5. Uh, he, says, he says, it wasn't made known to other sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul's like, I'm not just a one, he's like, I'm not a cult leader, I guess is what he's saying. He's like, it's not just me, so trust me. Um, he said, this is what's been given to all of us. Like the risen Jesus appeared to, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says he appeared to a few and then to the 12 and then to as many as 500 all at once. And he said, this is why the apostles teach this. So people like Paul and Peter and James and Thomas, they all went to various parts 
of the world to share what they've been given, this revelation they've been given together. Um, now, I, the, the reason I made that emphasis about it, it's not just Paul, is this, I think, does correct us when we hear other religions or spiritualities that say, well, God appeared to me and gave me these words and gave me this book to write, and so now you need to follow this. What's the difference between the prophet Muhammad, for instance, or Joseph Smith, the Mormon leader, who received a revelation from God and says, write this book? What's the difference between those revelations and Paul? And I think it's this, the apostles and the prophets. The consistency of who God's character is through the whole scriptures with the revelation they received about how Jesus has come to fulfill it all. If you look at the prophet Muhammad, if you look at Joseph Smith, the inconsistencies with the Old Testament prophets and the things that came before is strikingly clear. But what Paul was given, the encounter he had with the risen Jesus, is a fulfillment and a continuation of the consistency of the Old Testament. And that's the core difference. There's obviously, talk about a great Q&R question. That's a great one we could talk about. There's a lot there. I don't have time to get into all of it, but that's, that's just something I think was worth mentioning here. So as we pause there, um, consider now what's the gift that you've been given that was not what Paul was given explicitly, but what, what gift could you serve the world and the city and those around you with out of what you've been given? So pause to think about that. I, I think as we, as we consider that, um, I think in, in that place, we begin to find our passion. We begin to find our place of purpose. Maybe you'll find a job out of that, or maybe you just find the thing that makes you most alive. Um, but it's in that place of, what has God given to me? What has he called me to um, that I can serve others with? Who has he made me to be, my character? How is he changing me so that I can love others out of that? So as we go into the third point, I'm going to talk a little bit now about just general and specific calling or serving. Um, Generally speaking, verse 7, I think, kind of transitions us to this general place of serving. Uh, Verse 7 says, Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Um, Generally speaking, all of us as believers have a general calling that we've been called to serve under. So for as much as we're going to talk about specifics later, um, in like the next point, after we just talk about what Paul's been called to, generally speaking, as Christians, we do serve in the similar type of way. We serve out of the gospel. We serve out of the good news of what God has done in the world. And so, again, I want to make this explicitly clear. In verse 7, it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister. Out of every person in this room, who is the minister? Thank you for not saying you, Stephen. Thank you. Because it's not me. All of us are ministers of God's grace together. If we've been called by God, by his grace, if we've responded in faith, we are all ministers of the gospel. The word here that's being used is the same word that we use for deacon or servant. This is not a pastor role. So my, my role, I'll talk about in a little bit, but 
This is a general call for all of us to be ministers or servants. You could translate this word servers or servants. We're all servants under God's grace. So 1% of us are used to be pastors or missionaries or vocational workers. But the 99% of Christians are people that have other jobs and do other things like you all. I'm the, I'm the weird 1% that is called to be a, a preacher or pastor. And so that's the general call is that we're all servants. God uses all of us by his grace. Now, specifically, Paul then turns in verse 8 to says, to me, Paul says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of his grace. So Paul specifically was called to preach, or the word there is, could also be used to evangelize. That's like, Paul's like, I was called to preach to the Gentiles. Remember, that goes back to his story. And so, um, so again, this, this is for people like Paul or for people like me. Why does God call certain people to preach? Like, is it because I'm smarter than everybody else, or Paul was smarter than everybody else, or we have more capacity than other people, or... We're just so charismatic and winsome in our words and, you know, very handsome. And I can... obviously the answer, obviously the answer is no, because I got long, shaggy hair. I'm not the best public speaker. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I haven't been to Harvard. Like, it can't be any of those reasons. And that's what Paul says here. Paul says, though I am the very least of the saints, I was called to preach. Paul's like, though I am probably the worst person to call, God called me. So what does that tell you about why God chooses certain people? We don't know. God chooses who he chooses to do things for purposes that he knows, according to his will, according to his pleasure. Paul's like, I, I know all the reasons why I shouldn't be doing this, but God called me to it, so I'm going to do it. And talk about a good check, right? That's a good check for all of us. Why did God call me to be a pastor? Why did God call you to be a, a, a worker and whatever you're called to? Because of his grace, because of his calling and purpose on your life, nothing else. Um, and that does affirm all your giftedness and intellect. I'm not going to diminish any of that, but that's not what it's about. You're called to be used by God as a servant for others. So I just want to give a few things about what it means for me to be a pastor. Uh, just to give you insider info. This is like behind the curtain. What's it like to be a pastor? What, is this, what does this feel like to Pastor Stephen? I have a couple of things here, kind of quickly. Number one, my primary job as a pastor, if I look at the scriptures and if I think about like, what is it that I feel like I need to prioritize? It's to preach and to teach. Like that's why I went to school to try to learn things so I didn't sound like a blabbering fool every week in front of you. It's like, so I could actually answer some questions decently and, and be a good listening ear. But to preach and to teach, that's the role of a pastor. Number two is, as one person said, the role of a pastor is to love the scriptures in public. To just show, like, how much I really believe this. And to love it. And to say, like, I'm not just faking it. I actually love the scriptures. I'm going to do so in front of you week to week. I hope that comes across. Number three, uh, this is something I'm just clinging to, is this, this, this stern warning that it says in James 3, teachers are to be judged with greater strictness. So it's like, I'm terrified every week to come up here that I'm going to say the wrong thing or lead you astray because teachers are judged with greater strictness. So I feel that. I feel that weightiness when I come up here. It also says in 1 Timothy 5, 7 that pastors are worthy of double honor 
which is, I love that one. Uh, it's like, okay, I can receive that one. But it's like an encouragement, an encouraging thing, basically to say like, that God will provide for those that choose to do this in public week after week. Double honor can mean just like receiving encouragement or even receiving payment for this. Like the fact that I get paid for this is just astounding. Like it's a beautiful gift of grace and generosity from you. That's the double honor. The first honor is just the joy of doing what God has called you to do. And the fact that I get to get paid for it is wonderful. But as we'll talk about in our annual meeting next week, like that could change depending on what God does through our church or what he wants. Number five, pastoring is about shepherding people. It's about listening and being with people like you week to week, caring deeply. And that requires a ton of emotional capacity and, and health. And so like what most of you don't know is after I spend time sitting with you or listening to you or praying with you is I go back and, and crash because I'm tired because it's, it's an emotional weight. And as an introvert, I'm kind of at a disadvantage already, but I do my best. And then number six, um, someone once said that to be, a, to be a preacher or to be a pastor is to, to die to yourself in public week after week. So when I stand up here and preach to you and tell you things that we should be doing together, I'm speaking right to myself too. And it's, I'm bearing the wounds of Jesus in my flesh as I preach what we should be doing, dying to myself in public so that you don't see Stephen week after week preaching, but you see the words of Jesus coming through in his life and his teaching. So as we're coming to the end here, um, I'm going to come back to the general, back to the general calling. So we're all called to be servants. We're all called to be ministers. What does that actually bear out? What does that actually show us about what the church is capable of doing in a city like Salem, in communities like ours? Verse 10 is one of the most astounding verses in the whole Bible. Because it's impossible to fully comprehend what this means. So I'm admitting that I can't fully tell you what this means. So let's just be baffled together, in, in awe together. Verse 10. Um, so verse 9, let me just start there to bring you context. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, through all of us, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. To who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All this is happening so that for the purpose of the church making known the wisdom of God, not just to one another, not just to other humans or to the the people that don't believe or to encourage one another with the wisdom of God, but to make known the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? I, I think that's kind of beyond what we can fully understand, but somehow... The church is God's collective vessel or instrument to make known who God is in the whole of creation, in the whole universe, to even angelic beings and spiritual beings. Like the church is the one that displays the wisdom of God to those people. And so as one commentary said, they said this, it says the rulers in question are probably the whole host of heavenly beings, not merely God's angels nor merely the evil powers that come up later in Ephesians, but both. They are the assembled witnesses before whom God vindicates his wisdom. Like, whoa, that's, we're not just coming here each week to sing a couple of songs and listen to a sermon and go home. Like, 
we're proclaiming the wisdom of God to the heavenly places. It's a, an amazing spiritual power that's coming through. So what does serving specifically look like for us? A couple last things. Number one, unity. To serve the city of Salem requires a unified church. Jew and Gentile together, slave and free together, male and female together, black and white together, child and adult together. And um, I'm really excited by what God is doing in this city because he's sending more laborers into the harvest field, to use biblical terms. Um, There's more people who are wanting to come to Salem to serve this city, either through church planting or or through coming to serve alongside us in our own church. Like God is using a variety of different types of people to serve a city that is as diverse and eclectic as this city. So we need to be unified. And it's um, with gospel-minded churches, churches that believe the things we're talking about, so that we can serve people out of the love of Jesus well. Secondly, boldness. To serve out of boldness, meaning that in Christ we have a boldness we didn't have before. To serve people at Life Bridge or at the Salem Pantry or um, alongside others who are doing good work in the city. We do so humbly by serving their needs, but we do so also with a boldness to share the hope that is within us of why we serve. We serve because we want to see people's lives transformed. Not just their bellies fed, but there are also their souls changed. And then lastly, suffering. Paul finishes this section by saying, verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you because it's your glory. It's your glory. Our glory comes through our suffering because in our suffering, we partner with Jesus and what he did for us. We model our life after the one who came to serve and not to be served. And Jesus served by going to the greatest extent possible, which was by laying down his life. And so again, just as I say as a pastor, I, I die to myself in public week after week, so too do you as you go to your workplace and as you go to your families and as you go to the grocery store and as you go to wherever God sends you, you're dying to yourself in public to show others the wounds of Jesus and how he is making us whole, not through our own life, but through his life that's been given to us. So final story, just to wrap us up. Um, This isn't meant to tie a bow, but it's just meant to transition us and to help us think. Uh, It's a story of, um, I'll I'll just read it straight off here. It says, a man was flying from Seattle to San Francisco on an airplane. The plane had a layover in Sacramento. And the flight attendant explained that there would be a delay. And if the passengers wanted to get off the aircraft, the plane would reboard in about one hour. So everybody got off the plane except for one gentleman who was blind. Another man had noticed him as he walked by and could tell that the gentleman was blind because he had his seeing-eye dog laying quietly next to him underneath the seat in front of him throughout the entire flight. He could also tell he had flown this very flight before because the pilot approached him and calling him out by name said, Keith, we're in Sacramento for an hour. Would you like to get off and stretch your legs? The blind man replied, no thanks, but maybe my dog would like to stretch his legs. So then the story says, picture this. All the people out in the concourse at the airport, in the gate area, came to a complete standstill when they looked up and saw the pilot 
walk off the plane with a seeing-eye dog. The pilot was even wearing sunglasses. People scattered. They not only tried to change planes, but they were trying to change airlines. It's a and so the person who wrote this story says, um, the point of the story is that things aren't always as they appear, right? The pilot was serving. He was serving the need of someone who needed it. And, talk, and he was totally misunderstood. And it cost him business, probably. Um, but it's because they didn't understand. And that's, gonna, that's the way serving in Salem is probably going to feel sometimes. When you serve in the name of Jesus, it's... It may not feel like we're understood, um, but do it anyway. Serve in the love of Christ. And I, I hope some of this is stuck for us today. So let me close this in a word of prayer, and we'll finish by singing one final song together to conclude our service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being uh, the one who, who loves us to the extent to where you came to serve us, not to be served. You showed us how to live a life of servanthood, and um, that's beautiful. It's, uh, it's where we find our, our deepest meaning in life is by uh, seeing the selflessness of God who's given us all things. And so we want to be that for others, not in a uh, legalistic way, but in a pure, genuine way. So would you mobilize us as a church to serve this city well, to love this city by being servants? As Charles Spurgeon said, you know, why would I ever stoop to be a king if I've been called to be a servant? So why, why don't we do that? God, would you give us the ability to be that um, under your grace, led by your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.